0: How many of you have ever done a trust fall? Show of hands. How many of you have ever done a trust fall? Okay, I think what we should do is get maybe six people, and then Katie, if you would just stand up on the railing there and we'll... No, I'm kidding, don't. (laughs) Don't. Don't. (laughs) She would. She totally would. That would not go well. So some of you have done a trust fall. Hopefully most of you have seen a trust fall. There's a couple different types of trust falls, Uh, There's a a really high ropes type of trust fall. That's a little bit different. But I want to talk to you about two different types of trust fall. One is very simple. It's sort of two people, and the one person just falls back, and the other person catches them, right? How many of you have done that? Okay, that one, I would say, is is a little nerve-wracking, but really, in the grand scheme of things, not that tough, right? I mean, worst-case scenario, if the person misses or is unable to catch you, or is just mean and ruthless and decides not to catch you, you're going to fall on the floor. It's probably going to hurt a little bit, but you'll survive, right? Maybe at the last second you can kind of put your foot back, catch yourself, no big deal. But there's another type of trust fall that I learned when I worked at camp, and this is where there's a platform about five or six feet up off the ground, and you stand up on that platform. And you get maybe four, six, eight people down below and they all hold out their arms like this. Now, you have to understand when they're holding out their arms, you're standing right about here. So you're above their arms and you fold your arms and you stay stiff as a board and you fall backwards. That is a trust fall. That takes an immense amount of trust. There are a lot more variables in that sort of trust fall you may not know every single person as well as you might know the one person that's catching you. So you're putting your trust in six, seven, or eight different people. When I worked at camp, sometimes we had to do this with campers. So as a counselor, you'd be up there, and there are children that are catching you. I don't believe we did it with the very littlest ones. But with junior high kids, maybe fifth and sixth grade kids, and that was a lot of trust to fall into their arms. The other thing that was interesting is that when you fall into somebody's arms like this, you know, they grab you right away, they catch you. But when you fall like that, and you fall straight back, and you hit their arms, it is not a comfortable feeling. It hurts. So not only do you have to trust them that they're going to catch you, but you know even that act of trust is going to hurt a little bit. It's kind of a big deal. And you know, once you start going, there's no way to catch yourself. There's no stopping. There's no, you know, as you're halfway down, there's no pulling a wily e. coyote sort of thing and pulling back up on the ledge. You can't do that. Once you're in motion, you're you're committed. And you're going to fall into those arms or if it doesn't going to go so well, you're going to fall onto the ground. You know, every day that we wake up is like a trust fall. Every morning we get out of bed is us putting our lives in the hands of God ultimately but sometimes also the people around us. And I think a new year, the turning of a new year, is a time to think about what are we trusting in. As we walk forward through 2015, and every day we're falling more and more onto the trust in God's faithfulness, we need to examine that trust and we need to examine that faithfulness. Now last week we looked at this idea of looking back on God's past faithfulness. If you missed that sermon, I hope you can go online and check it out because a lot of what we talk about today is built on that. We have to know what God has done in the past, in the cross, in Old Testament history, New Testament. We we don't need to know all the dates and times, but we need to be able to look at it and say, yes, God is faithful. He's proven that to me. And then to look in our own lives and say, yes, I've seen God's faithfulness, so I'm going to trust. But this morning, I want to look at looking forward. Because trusting faithfulness is not just a a backward-looking motion, it's also forward-looking. Can you see into 2015 and say, yes, God will be faithful in 2015? And you might say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, I I don't know what's going to happen in 2015. I haven't laid it all out. I mean, I'm lucky if I even have a calendar by this point, let alone have anything filled in. And even if I did, I'm not in control of it. I don't know what's going to happen. How can I know that God will be faithful in 2015? Because trusting in God's faithfulness is a choice. and Because he has provided so much proof that he will be faithful. So whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you're facing in the coming year, whatever you will face that you can't possibly imagine as you sit here this morning that you might face, I want you to hear this morning, God will be faithful. And I want to give you a couple things to hold on to as you walk into this new year. Number one, I want to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. You can turn there if you want, or you can just look at it up on the screen there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We can trust in God's future faithfulness. Because as we look at 2015, we can know God is at work. He is still at work. Whatever he has been doing in your life in 2014, 2013, 2012, keep going back. Whatever it is he's been doing in your life, he will keep on doing in 2015. We know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God always, always finishes what he starts. And if you are a believer this morning, if you are a Christian, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can guarantee you that God is at work in your heart. He has been. And he guarantees through his word, he will continue to be at work in you. So here's the thing. You might be looking back over 2014 and saying, oh, what a disaster. That was just an awful year. Maybe all this other bad things happened. Maybe you did some bad things. Maybe you just felt like a failure. Maybe as you walk into this new year, you want a clean slate. Maybe you don't want to think about that at all. But here's what I want you to know. God is not done with you. He has not given up on you. No matter what happened in 2014, God is still at work in your heart. No matter how long you've been away from him, God is at work in you. It's a promise from scripture. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what is this work that he's doing? Well, let's start with a big picture. God's work is taught to us in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's the big plan of why God created us in the first place, to have a relationship with him, to live in this worshiping, glorifying relationship of standing every day in his presence and just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for making me. Thank you for saving me. That's God's purpose for each and every one of us. That's the work that God is doing in history. Everything in Scripture testifies that this is what God is doing. Sin came into the picture, muddied everything up. But as we saw at the end of the book of Revelation in 2014, well, these things didn't happen in 2014, but in our sermon series in 2014, at the end of the book of Revelation, we saw God's plan was fulfilled. What he promised and set in motion in the Garden of Eden is exactly where Revelation ends up. People in his presence, made holy through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's God's eternal plan. But if we want to be more specific, this work that God is doing in you, we can see it at the cross of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to become sin for us. He took our sin, all the punishment, all the guilt that was ours, and put it on his son, Jesus Christ. And he took Christ's righteousness and he puts it on us. To as many as believed in him. For all who believe? For God so loved the world that He gave His Son that everyone who believes can have eternal life. So when we look to the cross, we can say that's the work that God is doing. And when you look to 2015, you need to say, if God would give the cross of Jesus Christ for me, then I guarantee He's not done with me yet. He will continue to be faithful. Let's get more immediate. At some point in your life, I pray, I hope, You decided, as you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you saw the gospel lived out in the lives of people around you, at some point you said, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus. He is my Savior. He's not just the Savior of the world. He's not just somebody out there that I'm hearing about. He is my Lord and my Savior. God, I give you my life. At some point that happened in your life, I pray. And if it hasn't, then I pray this is the year that it does. And at that moment, God started remaking you from the inside out. He took that old old sinful self and he crucified it on the cross of Jesus. Dead, buried, and gone. You are risen to new life in Jesus Christ, the promise of the resurrection. That's who you are in Christ. So if you want to know the work that God is doing in you, look to the moment of your salvation and say, if God started working in my life then, why would he quit now? But we can continue. Throughout Scripture, it talks about God's sanctifying work, that God is cleansing us. He is taking all these things, all these areas of our lives that cause us to stumble, that get in our way of us understanding who he is, all of that sin in us, and he starts pulling it out one after another and removing it from us. And it's hard, and it hurts And sometimes we run from it and we say, God, I don't want that to happen. But God is at work. And so when we read this, he who began a good work in you, part of that work, a big part of that work, is to give God the year and say, God, do that work in my life. Rip out those sinful things in me. Use my friends. Use my relatives. Use my church. Use your word. Use situations. Do whatever you have to do. Purify me, O Lord as he does that work of sanctification. And finally, the work that God is doing is he is bringing us, individually and collectively as his people, to heaven with him. Christ will return. And when he returns and he sets up his kingdom here and now, we will be with God forever and ever. That is the assurance that we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That work started in Genesis, going on throughout Scripture, accomplished at the cross, applied to us in salvation, worked out in our lives through sanctification. It will culminate to us being with God forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is a sure thing. And if you want to know what work God is doing in your life and what work you can trust that he will do in 2015, that's it. Now, what that's going to look like specifically for you, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like specifically for me. I can look forward into the year and see some things I know I'm going to face and say, wow, that's going to be hard. I hope God uses it for his glory. But I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to stand here and say this is what God has for you. But I guarantee whatever it is, he is at work. And we need to trust in his work in our lives. Now, maybe as you hear that, you think, but Pastor Dave, I'm, I'm just a mess. I've made so many bad choices. I've fallen so far away from God's holy standard. I've done so many things, unspeakable things. I, or, or maybe you're just here going, I just don't even know. I'm just a mess because I don't know where my faith is at. I'm kind of going through the motions. Number two, I want you to hear, as we trust God's future faithfulness, God uses our mess. Our mess that we make in our own lives or sometimes that others make of our lives, the decisions that other people make that that hurt us and cause our life to go in a different direction, we might look at that and say, well, God can't use that. God can't work that out. Listen to the words of Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Christians throughout the ages have loved to debate the meanings of those last couple phrases. What do all those words mean? And, you know, that's an interesting discussion, and we can talk about that sometime. But at the very least, we need to admit, one, they mean something. (laughs) We can start there, right? We can't just say, well, it doesn't mean anything. We have to say it means something. And number two, we need to look at this and say, if you put all of these phrases together, what you get is that God has a plan for us, right? Right? Whatever our individual interpretation of predestination and all of these things, it says that when God saves us, he's not just saying, well, God bless you, I hope you do better this time. Try not to screw up the new life I gave you. And he just steps back. That's not the relationship that God brings us into. He says, I've saved you for a purpose. And I'm at work in your life. And I'm working that out. So where does the mess come in? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In God's plan, what this verse is saying, and many others like it, is that whatever the mess is in your life, whatever the mess is that you have to go through, whether it's your own fault or somebody else's fault, God can and does take those messes and bring beautiful things out of them and he can turn them around and use them for our good. Now, what does this mean? Some people say this means that if something happened, it was necessarily God's will. Well, you fell into sin, but God brought something good out of it, so it must have been God's will that you fell into sin in the first place. I have a problem with that. Because the scripture is filled with instances where God tells his people, don't do this. We know his will is that they not do this. They're not supposed like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they were not supposed to eat of the fruit. God said, don't do it. Is he secretly saying, well, my plan is actually, I hope that they do eat it, but, you know, I'm going to tell them not to. Does he know they're going to eat it? Absolutely. But God says, don't do it. Just because something happens does not mean that that is exactly what God wanted to happen. But it does mean that God, in his sovereign power and control, will use whatever happened to accomplish his plan. He takes the mess and he works with it. Was God's plan unraveled when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden? Did everything fall apart at that moment? No. God had a plan. Christ came and we are saved. Was Israel always faithful to God? Absolutely not. Did God still use them to accomplish his plan? Absolutely. Did the early church always walk faithfully with God, doing what they were supposed to? No. In fact, next week, we're going to start a sermon series on 1 Corinthians, and you're going to see a church that was really, really messed up, doing all sorts of things wrong. And yet God carried out his purposes in and through them. So if you're here today and you're saying, I am so messed up, I want you to hear God can use that mess. Apply his grace to it and bring good things out of it in your life and the lives of those around you. I also want you to hear that does not make the mess okay. This does not say that because God uses something that it's therefore okay that it happened. It's not. Something very sinful and very wrong can happen and yet God still bring good things out of it. Does that make sense? We need to hold on to that tension there. But God is constantly using the stuff of the messiness of our lives and of this world to bring about his gracious and wonderful eternal plans. So if you're here today and you're saying, I'm such a mess, nothing good could possibly come out out of 2015, I want you to have the words of this verse ringing in your head. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. God, give God your mess. Say, God, I give it to you. I've screwed it up enough, so I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to trust you. You see, the one who gave his son for us on the cross, because we were so desperately sinful and lost and dead that we could never possibly ourselves come back to him, is not sitting up in heaven, and every time we sin, saying, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? How am I going to work this out? He's saying, okay, I love you. Keep following me. I'm working out my plan in your life. Now, this may mean in 2015 that God's got some unraveling to do in your life. Sometimes God's grace in blessing the mess of our lives is to start picking it apart and unraveling the mess that we've made. And sometimes, often, that's hard. And it hurts. But we need to trust in the work that God is doing. So what does this look like? How do we live in 2015 and hopefully every year trusting in God? Do we just sit around and say, well, God's at work, so I'm just going to sit here and wait and see what he does? No way. You see, sailors on a ship can't make the wind blow, can they? They don't get up in the morning and say, well, if I punch in these numbers, I can make the wind do this and this. No, they can't make the wind blow. So do they just sit around lounging on the deck chairs and saying, well, I don't know, the wind's not blowing. What are we going to do? We're just going to sit here and wait until the wind blows and then we'll do something. Is that what sailors do? No, I think when you look at a good ship with sailors that know what they're doing, there's a frenzy of activity. Why? Because they don't necessarily know every time which way the wind's going to blow, but they have to be ready for whatever it is. They don't know when it's going to come, but they have to be ready. The sails have to be set. They have to be able to change it at a moment's notice. They have to set the sails. And I think it's the same for us. We need to live with an activity of trust in our lives. We need to do the things that God commands in Scripture to set our sails so that when He comes in to move us wherever it is, We're ready because our sails are constantly being set according to his word. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We set the sails of trusting God's faithfulness in our lives by putting, first of all, effort into our faith. Faith is not a passive thing. It's just like the trust fall. You could stand up there on the ledge all day long and say, oh, yeah, I trust you to catch me. But if you didn't actually fall, what good is it? You wouldn't experience that faithfulness. You wouldn't get that opportunity to experience what it means to trust that group. And it's the same way with God. We need to step out in our faithfulness as we're trusting his faithfulness just as you receive Christ Jesus as lord continue put effort into walking with Christ every day in 2015 continue rooted and built up strengthen in the faith as you were taught as you were taught there has i believe unfortunately especially in american christianity developed this popular idea that faith should just be simple Well, I just trust God. I don't really know all that other stuff. I'm I'm just trusting him, and and he just leads me graciously day by day, and I'm just trusting him. And and I don't really need to know that much more. That's for the scholars. That's for the pastors. That's for the leaders. The irony is, by doing that, we've rejected the very thing that could overcome that. Because the Bible clearly lays out for Christians, keep going. Keep going growing, keep knowing who Christ is, keep pouring over Scripture. You don't have to become a Bible scholar. You need to be a Christian. And a Christian is one who knows who God is, who knows what Christ has done, who knows how he's working in the world. And when we get to this point that we say, well, I don't know about that, let's dig into Scripture together and let's keep going deeper and deeper. A lot of Christians are walking around with very weak faith, Because they've become stagnant. Go deeper in God's word in 2015. It's one of the reasons. I walked around this morning and I count. We don't take attendance in Sunday school, but I took attendance this morning. We had over 50 people in Sunday school this morning. That's amazing. Three years ago, we had about five. That's the change that's been going on. And I've got to tell you, one of the things, and you've heard this before, that excites me so much. Because to me, Sunday school shows more than just a passive coming to church and being a spectator. It shows an active step. I want to dig into God's word. Now, that's when I say 50 in Sunday school, that's just adults. I didn't count the kids. That's a, that's a big group of people going deeper in God's word. Do you have to go to Sunday school to go deeper in God's word? Absolutely not. You can study God's word on your own. You can get together with small groups. There's many different ways to do it. That's just one tool. But I think it says a lot about a church when the attendance in Sunday school and in small groups is going up and up and up. It says we are not going to settle for a surface relationship with Jesus Christ. We together want to go deeper in the word of God. We want to be rooted and built up. It's one of the actions of trust. So I'm going to challenge you today. If you don't come to Sunday school, and you're not involved in some other Bible study, you need to make some choices in 2015. Go deeper in your relationship with God. Get together with other Christians. Maybe it's a ladies' small group or a men's small group. Maybe it's a private, private study on your own. But find somebody to hold you accountable. Go deeper in your relationship with God this year by purposely studying God's word, preferably with other believers. And then he says, He says, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is not just a knee-jerk reaction to something that God does. I believe thankfulness is a purposeful action of faith on our part. I am going to watch for what God does. And when I see God doing something, I will purposely give thanks because I believe God is always at work doing things for which I and we should give thanks for So watch for God to work in your life in 2015. Watch for God to work in our world. You know, as Christians, we've become like the chief complainers at times. Oh, woe is me. Look at everything that's happened. We post all these things on Facebook. Look at what so-and-so is doing. Man, what if we turned that around and said, I saw God working in my life in this way. And I saw God working in this person in this way. I even saw God working in our government in this way. Isn't this great? What if our Facebook posts were plastered with those things? instead of the negativity and the complaining? What if our our actual conversations with people were sprinkled with those things? Giving thanks purposefully. And then watch for ways that God's work can overflow in your life. Thankfulness is one. Evangelism is another. If we are excited about what God is doing in our own lives, shouldn't we share it with somebody? You know, if you find a Steelers fan today, they might be hiding. But if you find a Steelers fan today, I bet you they can tell you everything that went wrong with that, that game. All the missed calls that the refs made, all the bad choices the coaches made, why they should have won it, why they didn't win it. I bet they could dissect it to the nth degree. Why is it, as Christians, we're not as passionate about Jesus Christ? Why is it talking about Jesus doesn't come as easily to us? Are we scared? Are we ashamed? I don't know what it is. But I pray as we grow in our relationship with Christ, the gospel overflows in our life and in our words so that it's what people around us see and hear all the time. Because I've got to tell you, this world needs Jesus Christ. And God, in his wisdom, has chosen to bring the gospel to this world through you and through me. That's his plan. And so we need to live out and see the gospel overflow in our lives. Another way that we need to overflow in our lives is service. We need to get involved. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Coming to church is great. Singing the songs is great. Listening to a sermon is usually great. But all these things are great, but Christianity is not lived as a spectator. Your role as a person in a church is not to sit in the bleachers and watch what God is doing on the field. You are the field. Get involved in some way. It doesn't have to be in our programs. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be in your town hall. It could be in your family as a missionary. But get involved. Say, God, show me somewhere in 2015 that I can step out trusting you and serving you in some way, shape, or form. Step out in service. What will will your trust look like in 2015? I don't know. I don't know what God is going to bring into your path. I don't know what your decisions are going to bring into your path or this world is going to bring into your path. I don't know if it's going to be an easy trust fall, falling into one person's arms, or if it's going to be a really, really difficult one. But I do know this. God will be faithful in 2015 because that's who God is. That's what he does. So we can keep on trusting him. Our mission statement at Orchard, you've heard it recently as people have joined as members. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. I just want to lay out a few things before you this morning in closing that I'm looking forward to and trusting God in to be faithful to us as a church. I believe one of the things we're going to see in 2015, because we already see it, is a continued focus on Scripture. We will keep the Scripture at the center of everything that we do. Leadership, Sunday school, small groups, everything. We will focus on God's Word. We're going to start a sermon series next week, as I said, on 1 Corinthians. It'll probably take us all the way into the summer. It'll be another long one. Because there's a lot there to understand how do we apply the gospel to our lives, to our decision making. And we're going to pour over it verse by verse. And some people in the world may say, why are you going to do that? I need to know how to be a better worker or a better husband or a better wife. Because I believe that God's word teaches us those things, but it does so on its terms, not ours. So we need to humbly come to the altar of God's word and say, God, just feed us. I think one of the things we're going to be challenged with in 2015 is that as a church, I think we're going to have to hire somebody. To be very honest, we need a second staff person. That's going to be a stretch for us. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know when we're going to do it. But it's going to be a sacrificial stretch. Our youth group is busting at the seams. We are growing in every area. It's going to be a tough transition. But I think it's one of the things we're going to have to do in 2015. I think we're going to see continued growth in small groups and Sunday schools, which is awesome and exciting But it's also very, very challenging. We're running out of classroom space. We're running out of teachers. We're running out of helpers. We're going to need people to get involved, to step up in ways that maybe they've never done before or haven't done so here, to say, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I believe in 2015, as a church, we're going to have to start a second worship service. We're pretty full. We've hit 200 on some Sundays. And when we get to 200, we're shoulder to shoulder. And I've had visitors say, I didn't even think I'd find a place to sit. How are we going to do that? And I know all the comments people say, well, I won't know everybody. It will be two churches instead of one. Maybe. But if we can make room for more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to work together and serve together as God's community here in this local church, we need to do it. It's going to be hard. But I think it's one of the ways we're going to have to trust God to be faithful. God, I believe, will be raising up teams of volunteers in 2015. Groups that get together, not to oversee, not to administrate, not just to make decisions, but to say, this is our area of service, I'm going to dig into it. I'm going to work with everything God has given me. I'm going to serve together with this group of people and we're going to make this area of ministry our own. I hope to see lots of teams springing up in 2015. I don't know what all we're going to face. But I believe by keeping our focus on God's word, by trusting in God's work, we're setting the sails for God's faithfulness. And I pray when we hit this sermon in 2016 or the end of 2015 and we're looking back, we'll say the same thing we are right now. God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I don't know what different people seated here today are facing. I don't know the decisions that they may already even be aware of that they're going to have to make in 2015. And we may not know the situations that we're going to go through as a church or or as individuals, as a family, or as a country. We don't know. You hold the future. But God, we can walk forward into this new year with the absolute confidence that you will be faithful because we can rely on the fact that you've proven your faithfulness over and over again. We can rely on the fact that we know you are a faithful God. You keep your promises. And God, if all of that seems to fall apart and come into question, may we look to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, if God would give his only son for us, will he not also continue to be at work in our lives? Working out your purpose, your plan, as only you can do. May we take the steps and the actions of faithfulness as we set the sails in our own lives. May we be in prayer and study of, God, of your word with other Christians. May we get up and serve together in ways that bring glory to you. Father, thank you for a new year to experience your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen.